You're listening to the award-winning Blue Jay Boys Show on WRSC with Big Chuck, Sackman, and Senor D. Coming off, everyone thought he was washed. His last year in Seattle wasn't that great. He goes to the Rams. They thought they overpaid him, and he goes out and he has an all-pro season, 140-plus tackles, six sacks, which was a career high, despite playing, you know, with a lack of talent around him with the Rams going down in the toilet this year after being a contender all these years. I think I'd have him as my number one free agent. Josh, who do you got left? Um, We were talking about it before the show, and I think – it would be nice, but we obviously can't overpay him. But Odell, I think he would add another key to our wide receiving core that we have right now. And <clears throat> I think it would, honestly, it would give us another good high point ball guy with, like, Claypool and him, but also a good another, like, wide receiver too. Um, because with DJ Moore on our side, you know, him being, like, the big distractor because he is a threat right now. Um, that gives Odell and Mooney, whoever's in, like the opportunity to do what they do best and give Justin the option down the field if Moore or Claypool isn't there or even our tight end Comet, you know. So I think OBJ would be a really uh, good weapon to add for us. So that's who I got. Exactly. Who do you think would be the best fit for the Bears, kind of going off what Josh was talking about? Just an offense or just anyone? Anyone, yeah. Yannick Ngakwe, 100%. We need more pass rush. We had the worst pass rush in the league. He's coming off a nine-sack season. Uh, he's still young. He just happens to be on a different team every year. He's used to a 4-3. He's a good, solid fit. I mean, he's coming from the Colts. They had a very similar system. I know Eberflus left, but it's still the same system, basically. I would I would sign him in a heartbeat. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean, I'm a huge fan of Yannick Ngakwe. I was talking about it last week with him still being a free agent, that the Bears should probably go after him. And one of the big reasons he's always on a different team, it's not really, like, his fault. He always produces every single year. It's usually about, like, at least nine sacks around that range. But the teams that he signs to or gets traded to are all these teams that are, like, borderline playoffs or, like, yeah. first-round exit in the playoffs. They always think they're better than they are. Uh-huh. They go, like, 7-9, 8-9. Uh-huh. Exactly. And then he just kind of gets screwed because he's stuck on that team. And then everybody's like, well, he didn't produce enough to be a game-changer. He's just kind of, like out there stat stuffing which i can i can understand to some degree that every year he is like he's not he gets his sacks but he's not really a game changer outside of that he's kind of like frank clark's a lot like that too who's still a free agent that the bears could possibly be interested in um where it's like yes he's going to put up nine sacks but when they are running the ball at him he's not very effective when they are double teaming him or he doesn't have the opportunity to get to the passer within two to three seconds, he's ineffective. And I can understand that that may be a reason for teams to be wary of that, but at the same time, he still got nine sacks last season. You might as well go and give the man a contract, especially since he's still sitting out there, which probably yeah. means he's waiting for a, you know, a short-term deal, to like a prove-it deal or something. We still have the most cap space in the NFL. Uh-huh. Um, what are some other pieces that you're looking at in free agency? Maybe not just for the Bears, but teams in general may still be, you know, chewing for, trying to get at here. Well, I was looking for the Cowboys to get another wide receiver, and they did that with the Brandon Cooks trade. I was thinking maybe like a DeAndre Hopkins or something like that. But Cooks is a very good receiver. He just gets past their own, kind of like how Isaiah Thomas does in the NBA mm-hmm. at this point. But in terms of that, I'd say...
want it. They need it to get Aaron Rodgers. They don't have a left tackle. They need a veteran left tackle. I'd go ahead and get Donovan Smith. He had a little bit of down year this year, but he's still only 29, and he's been one of the better tackles in the NFL since he's been in the league. Josh? Um, I don't mean to stick to a pattern right here, but, like, with the Bears, I think that signing Marcus Peters would be really good for us because we have had cases where Jalen Johnson's been on and off the IR sometimes these past couple seasons. So I think adding someone like Marcus Peters and we know what kind of caliber player he can be, especially on the defensive side of things, even before he got hurt and even after. We know that if Jalen Johnson goes out or Kyler Gordon, one of those two, Marcus Peters will be able to step in and actually keep it going. We won't have that doubt with, like, if we put in, who was it, uh, Houston, um, DeAndre Houston, him, or um, one of our other corners that we were like, who's this guy? Kendall Vildor, my least favorite player on the Bears. Yeah. Hey, he so, had a better 2022 season. I, I know he did. I still hate him. No, yeah. <laughs> so, like, yeah. It's, a, it's a sense like that. Like, like we'll, we, we'll have that safety blanket and we'll be comfortable with what we're doing and who we're putting in. And we know that we know that he'll be able to run the defense just as well or even better than Jalen if Jalen happens to go out or Caligore and vice versa, you know? Mm-hmm. So, I think that's what it is. Yeah. And I think a guy like Marcus Peters definitely gives some veteranship to that cornerback group. And I know in that safety group you have the veteran leadership and a guy like Eddie Jackson, yeah. but that cornerback group doesn't really have that. Jalen Johnson's in his third year now, and then uh, Kyler Gordon's going into his second Second-year, season. Yeah. So there's not really a lot of, you know, veteranship there. And I think Marcus Peters brings that, and he's obviously, you know, not exactly a glue guy, but he brings energy yes. to the team. Yeah. And sometimes that can be a little distracting, you know, when he was in – LA and throwing flags into the stands and stuff but I think that he can control that a little bit with the Bears when he decides to take on more of that leadership role I think he has the ability to do that um sticking with the Bears another guy I really like is Ashawn Robinson is still out there uh he's a big D tackle and I know the Bears just signed another D tackle that kind of plays the same way as he does in Andrew Billings but I think having a rotation there and having a guy like Ashawn Robinson who Obviously, last season and the year before that, he wasn't as productive as he was with those first couple of years with the Lions. He still has the ability to be a plugger in the middle of the line there and stop, you know, run games, which is something the Bears were really bad at stopping last year. Yeah. That was kind of their big issue is that they just couldn't stop anybody running on them. It was always – they were always trying to outrun people, and it never worked out. So having a guy like that and having a good rotation like that will help fix that or at least a little bit. Yeah, and it helps that – you know, the 2022 Bears D-line, there wasn't a single one that really performed up to a league average standard. So it's not like, oh, well, maybe we can keep this guy or that guy. Not, other than Justin Jones, mm-hmm. like, it was it was pretty ugly. Like, Andrew Blackson, they cut him <laughs> extra early. Like, they could have just let him walk. They cut him, like, two months early. That's how bad it was. <laughs> Armand Watts. Eh, I don't know why they waited until the end. Until, like, just, what, a couple weeks ago that they cut Al-Qudim Muhammad? Like, yeah. that, they should have cut him. That was, Angela like, Matt Eberflus' like, adopted son. And <laughs> they, they just kicked him, thankfully, kicked him to the street. Yeah. 
I mean, there's still guys there. Like, Travis Gibson still has a lot of that upside. You know, he's not a D-tackle, but he still has upside. Yeah. He's not really a run stopper either. You know, we we have guys there that have ability. They just need to prove it, and they need other people alongside them to be able to prove that. Yeah, yeah and I, I get what you're saying because I, I think last season and even the season before, like, it was kind of like we know what we have, but we also know what we're going to get out of them. And it came down to that the pressure was more or less on, like, Trev Gibson or, like, even Justin Jones and maybe even Dominic Robinson, too, because they knew that, oh, my God, we don't have an interior, so we kind of have to, like, buckle down and really, like, show out and show up because, you know, the pressure's on us right now. We don't have an inside. We're not going to get any help. We kind of have to do it ourselves. And I think adding Andrew Billings and even adding anyone else a big body, like you were saying, is really going to help even it out because then the pressure's on everyone at this point, you know, because then they know that they can just run what they have to run, but know that if interior pressure comes or whatever, if they're trying to split the middle so they can run, they know that those big bodies in the middle won't have any, like they're going to stop it and that these edges could just chase right off the edge of the uh, tackle and just, like, absolutely go nuts and do what they do best, you know? Mm -hmm. So I think a lot of that is kind of, like, lifting off their shoulders slowly with the signings. But, like, I think it's still there in a sense where Gibson has to be like, all right, we have Andrew Billings, yes, but that's only one big body out of we need maybe a couple more, you know, to have depth. Because right now I think our worst depth is on that D-line and O-line. Like, we, that's probably, like, the worst depth we have in, on Chicago. And, I mean, you know, looking around the rest of the league right now and just staying in the division, the Detroit Lions are, like, I'm 99% sure going to take Jalen Carter in the draft now. Yeah, it's nuts. Um, it's, like, the Bears aren't going to have that option with the ninth pick. Yeah. So it's something that they're going to have to fix in free agency here, and I think a guy like Ashawn Robinson can fill that gap for them. Um, and, you know, what makes me also mad about this is, like, Personally, I feel like the Bears had a guy on their roster a couple years ago that goes Kiris Tonga, who's on the Vikings yeah. now, is was one of my favorite players in that draft. He had that the a Bears very had. high grade this year for the Vikings. I don't know why they let go. He's like your typical, like you know, four three when we had Urlacher back in the day. We had guys like you know Matt Tahina, Anthony Adams, even Keith Trailer back when Urlacher was a youngin. Just a monster big one technique that just takes up space and occasionally makes a play. He was perfect for that. He was a seventh rounder. He was like, he was an older rookie because, you know, he's like BYU Mormon, so they got to like do like <laughs> seven years of like worship in Africa or whatever. Going out into like the woods and walking around or something yes. like that. <laughs> so he was like 20, he was 24, 25 as a rookie. So he was already kind of like a veteran. And he did kind of well his rookie year. I don't know why they cut him. I was very angry when they did that. Mm -hmm. And his name's Tonga. Like Tonga man, how do you not like that? I love that man, bro. Yeah, he, he was, was good. so good. He had a good year at the Vikings. It's, yeah, I mean, it's it, been a lot better than anyone we had in 2022. That's, that's ex exactly. <laughs> and they they spent all that money on guys like Alquadine Muhammad and Blackson to bring these guys in and take that role. But it was like you had it there. Blackson wasn't even meant for that. Yeah. He was a three four guy his whole career, whole time in college, and then you make him be a nose tackle. He's He's barely big enough to be a three technique. He's not gonna be a good nose tackle. Like, I didn't like that. They, I thought they could have, they should have kept Bilal Nichols, just because the Raiders signed him on like a two-year, eight million dollars. It's nothing. Mm -hmm. 
I thought he was worth keeping around. He had some really good games for us. His his entire career, not even just like last year. Yeah. He's been around for a while to the point where when guys like Eddie Goldman were had to be out for like two straight seasons. Oh my God, yeah, bro. he could hold down the fort. Exactly. And it would have been easier because we'd four D linemen instead of three. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I miss Eddie Goldman, bro. Me too. I remember I bought a jersey of him one time from DHgate and they sent me the jersey but it had the wrong number on it and his last name was spelled wrong on it so I was really sad about that. <laughs> it's like Goloman. It didn't say Goldman. <laughs> um moving, you know, more into the big picture of the NFL, I wanted to ask you guys some questions about, you know, next season and predictions about next season just based off what we've seen in free agency so far. Starting in the NFC North, who do you think's coming out of this division and why? Lions. Like they have number one offense in the NFL this year. The only problem is they have the 32nd-ranked defense. The biggest, I'd say, weakness of that defense was the secondary. Well, they fixed it. They went on, somehow got Chauncey Gardner-Johnson on a one-year $8 million deal. His agent needs to be shipped to North Korea after that. <laughs> Good Lord. They signed Cam Sun from the Steelers as a solid corner. They pair that with their rookie safety Ford, Kirby Ford, and um, – Okuda. Jeff Okuda, the big number one or whatever <laughs> that was supposed to be. He's a small number one. Yeah, one. from Ohio State, who he had a bounce-back year. Might They might pick up his fifth-year option now. You get those guys. Now you pair them. You go get someone like Jalen Carter or maybe, if he's there, Will Anderson. And you have a solid linebacker core. They re-signed Anzalone. Then we got our boy, Rodrigo. Mm-hmm. Rodrigo. And then... The, for their third linebacker, they could probably draft in the second round because they don't really have a guy. They was kind of just a different dude every week. Mm-hmm. You pair those guys with Houston, Hutchinson, and then, you know, maybe a Carter or a Will Anderson and a, a, a Lee McNeil up front. And then they signed Montgomery, sadly. Thank you very much, Nick Anderson, for texting me at 423 in the morning to let me know that it happened. Thank you very much, Nick. Knew that, but thank you. <laughs> Reporter of the year, let's go. Which now I, I feel like Montgomery was always like that he was kind of like that girl that was always in, like, a very tough relationship and that was treated very badly. And now she, she, like, got away and she's with, like, some, like, nice millionaire guy. He's, yeah, Montgomery's going to have, like, 1,500 yards behind that offensive line. I mean, it, it, that whole Montgomery situation is almost exactly like what happened with Jamal Williams when yeah. the Lions signed him. It was the Packers screwed over Jamal Williams, weren't willing to give him the money he deserved, decided to pay Aaron Jones instead which the Bears didn't decide to, like, really pay anybody else. Instead, yeah. they just decide not to pay him. Yeah. And it was just it – it's a bad relationship. And I think, you know, like Jamal Williams, they kind of put a fire under him. And I think it's yeah. going to do the same thing for Montgomery. Montgomery's going to have – he's going to be – like, everyone's going to be shocked. We know how crazy elusive he is and how he can carry people on his back. Like, no one I've ever seen before. He will – the first person who touches him is a broken tackle every yes. time. When you watch him play, it's insane. It hurts to tackle. I'd rather tackle an elephant. During its, uh, some they have something called the musk season, I believe it's called. <laughs> That's where they get in like kind of like a heat. Yeah, I'd rather tackle Montgomery than that. <laughs> Thank you for the elephant. I mean, no, I, I'd rather tackle the elephant. Discovery Channel. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> so that everyone's hating on it a little bit because it's running back, but he's going to have a monster year. They're going to have a full year of Jamison Williams. The offensive line's going to get even healthier, and they're probably going to act because they have two second rounds, a third and fourth from the Vikings. They're going to go out and get a real tight end, mm-hmm. even though the tight end group had, like, 13 combined touchdowns between four known I wouldn't English. be surprised if they take that. Um, Mike Mayer? No, from Georgia. 
Oh, yeah. <laughs> I could see that Imagine. happening before Jalen Carter or Will. I could see them taking them, bro. They would be running the ball all day. Imagine <laughs> a double team. Imagine being a defensive end. <laughs> you get down your four-point stance, and in front of you is Panay and, De- <laughs> and DeAndre Washington. <laughs> That's terrifying. <laughs> he does. He does say he is a six lineman. That at the end is hospital. <laughs> you might as well just write out your will on the field. <laughs> There's like maybe two or three Diaz that I think would not be scared of that, and that's probably Calais Campbell. <laughs> These other giant dudes that know they can hold their that, or like Mac would just do that, that yeah. thing where he dips his hip and he just like lifts him. Uh-huh. I think I think Khalil Mack would be the only one who would be able to lift down Andrew Washington, bro. <laughs> Max just got that. That pit bull strength. <laughs> Chasing God's hungry pit bull. Um, Made Taylor Decker God's tastiest baby. <laughs> yeah, the Lions are coming out of this division, no doubt in my mind. Unless if Goff just is on some bad stuff, they're coming out of this division 100%. Because the Vikings got dramatically worse. <laughs> I, the Vikings, that Quesse Adolfo Mensa, not very good. He had one of the worst bottom five draft classes in 2022. Now you go, you release Patrick Peterson, who somehow, some way, is still a top ten corner in the NFL. He was great last year. I think a lot of people didn't like realize yeah. that he had a great. He's one of the most underrated players of this generation. He's basically been an All Pro corner every year he's been in the league. All Pro, or Pro Bowl, while returning punts when he was a young guy. We lost him. You lost Eric Kendricks. You're about to lose Devil Cook. You lost Adam Thielen, who's not as washed as we think he is. He still has. And that's their second receiver. And then you 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 pay twenty one million for the fourth string Ravens tight end. Don't know why. <laughs> and then when you already have an All Pro tight end, yeah, too, and you you get you paid a lot of money yeah, too. <laughs> and then you traded a second third round pick for it. And then you give Marcus Davenport thirteen million. Who he, hasn't done anything since he's been? in I don't even think he has thirteen sacks in his career. And he's been around for four or five years. So they're falling off a cliff. Packers, you know, Lazard is gone. Tanyan's gone. That's their number one receiver and their number one tight end. And then, of course, Rodgers is going to be gone. And they're not, they haven't signed a single free agent because they don't sign free agents. I don't think they're going to draft that well. Jordan Love is just going to take a knee every time he's got African American Trubisky, <laughs> as I call him. I, I wanted to ask you, what do you think the ceiling of Jordan Love is? I don't even know because we haven't seen any of them. Yeah. I mean, his junior year of college, he had 31 touchdown passes, 10 picks, very good arm talent, looked really good. A little bit of mobility to him, taller guy. Then his senior year was just, I don't know, he lost some guys, not the best circumstances, but, like, it was it was like 18 touchdown passes, 14 picks. And every time he's gotten in, other than that one, two, three drives against Philadelphia where he just completed 10-yard hitches and Watson ran 20 yards and everyone was gassing him up. He has not looked good. He hasn't looked good in preseason games either. There'll be preseason games where he starts basically the whole game, and it's like 180 yards, a touchdown, two picks. And now he's not going to have, he's not going to have Lazard. He's not going to have Tanya. And it seems like Mercedes Lewis is going too. Cobb, yeah, Cobb, Cobb leaving. Well, I don't, yeah, <laughs> Cobb at this point. He's still one of their better receivers, but this this little fluffy doll <laughs> thing we have right here that I always violate. <laughs> this thing. This thing has a better hamstring than Randall Cobb does at this point. <laughs> but, yeah, you're going to be missing all those guys. So, now the only person you have is Christian Watson, who I think is overrated, and Romeo Dobbs with the aging Aaron Jones and 
Adrian Dillon is not he's not that good. I'm sorry. Offensive line who's all aging. None of those yeah. guys are getting any younger and they weren't really the best last season yeah, compared to how they've been. I, I wouldn't be surprised if Bakhtiari retires too. I thought he would have by now. Yeah. I think his knee, whatever he did to his knee. Maybe yeah. They, I guess they had the Lonzo Ball surgeon. Exactly. <laughs> it took him two and a half years to come back. So or El- Elton Jenkins is hurt all the time too. Like yeah. he's not out there. I mean, their their defense is still pretty solid, and that's kind of the Packers' defense. But how they're not they're not a group that's going to go out and carry a football team though. Mm-hmm. They're great if you you play from ahead. If they play if you the offense goes out and plays well, yeah, they're going to look great. But if they have to carry you, they're not going to do it. Mm-hmm. Um. Kind of moving on from the Packers, where do, where do you, and back to the Bears, I guess, still talking about the NFC North. How high do you see the Bears possibly getting in this division? I, me, and like this is not bias at all. Like this is me being for real. I think it's it's going to come down to obviously the Lions and Bears in the top two of the NFC North, right? But I I honestly think that. This Bears team can win the division. I think I strongly believe that their, you know, Poles is cooking up something in his lab. And especially with the comment I made about Orlando Brown Jr., that he Poles said he doesn't fit the scheme they're trying to run. Because he is a bigger guy, he's better for pass protection, right? Like he's a guy that'll give your quarterback time. I think with the signings, especially for the running back core that we have, we're trying to be run heavy again. Right, like last season, and we were really good at run heavy game last season. Yeah, two hundred fifty yards a game for <clears throat> that month and a half. That was insane. Yeah, and I feel like having Khalil Herbert as one, but also also Dante uh, Foreman, having him as a two. He's bro, coming for one. He said it in the press conference himself. Yeah, I ain't coming to be number two running back. So no, yeah, those two hungry guys battling for it. Plus, yeah. probably a either a rookie or another veteran that they're gonna add to that because they want a- maybe Eckler. I hope Eckler. I think that would be awesome. But also with the draft coming up, and I think Skaronsky is more of that viable option to have a more agile lineman on our side. I think that this Bears team with the run game and receiving core, with the tight end, with with the tight ends included in that receiving core, yeah. is probably the nicest like offense and defensive side of things that we have right now in the NFC in general. And yeah, it's a stretch, but I think. Like, we'll win our division, but we're also going to make a run. We are going to make a run this season. I think Poles and Iberflus are on the same page because, you know, they had their season together. And I think Luke Getzey now had his season on what – I think what he did was he ran stuff that he knew wouldn't work to see what options we needed to go out and report back to Poles, and Poles went out and got it. I Especially with, with Robert Tanyan. Like, that's his dude. Like, Luke Getzey is that guy's dude, you know? Like, they are going, they're making something special, right? We're building, like, the 2019 Baltimore Ravens. <clears throat> yeah, like, I think right now, like, not biasly, like I said, like, the Bears are coming out of this division, and we're making a run for that Super Bowl. Like, this is a crazy stacked team, especially with the defensive side of things. Yeah, we have some key things we need to do on offense still, and defense with the O-line, D-line. But with just the general signings that we've made, especially with, like, Tremaine Edmonds himself, that's ridiculous. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Dude's 24, 
and is they're calling him Erlacher 2.0 because he can cover the field because that's what Erlacher was good at. He was covering the field either way he went, you know? I mean, Edmonds has longer arms than him, but they're saying that he's like the new Brian Erlacher for this team because then you have Sanborn and uh, Edwards just, you know, doing what they do best and giving pressure or even covering, like, flat-style routes. Like, they're building something special in Chicago with Poles and Eberflus on the same page now. And, like, it's going to be between the Lions and Bears. But I, I think the Bears are going to come out on top on this. Yeah, I think if Poles does what he needs to do in the draft, fully cements the offensive line, improves the defensive line, gets another couple signings, a couple draft picks, we get, you know, maybe another receiver, another corner, third corner. Because you look at the NFC – there's no quarterback in the NFC right now that's more promising than Justin Fields. Right now, arguably the best quarterback in the NFC, with Rodgers being traded, Brady be retiring, is Jalen Hurts. Which, Fields' year two numbers were better than Jalen Hurts' numbers, and he didn't have the best offensive line in the league. He didn't have Devontae Smith. He didn't have, you know, Dallas Goddard at tight end. Yeah, A.J. Brown at receiver. Don yeah. Smith at receiver. Amazing defense. Yeah. yeah. He had the worst team that he somehow kept competitive in almost every game. Now we add all these guys on defense. We fully cement the offensive line. Another weapon. I don't I I think they'd be like kind of like how Detroit was last year, where they towards the end they are on fire, but I think we can be a little better because our quarterback is better than golf. I think there's no reason why we can't go out and make a run. Like I, I can see us getting being that team nobody wants to play at the end of the year getting in maybe by winning division or being like you know maybe like a five to seven seed probably more like a six or seven and surprising a team or two in the playoffs kind of like how the giants did exactly as i was just about to say like there's no real like we have a quarterback that's a legit pocket passer he has number one receiver now he's got mooney as a number two claypool's gonna be a lot better this year with cole Komet and robert tony and a downhill amazing running game if our defense could just be, you know, 12th, 13th, why not? I, other than the NFC East, whole a NFC North, uh, South is – I don't feel good about a single team in that division other than maybe the Panthers, really. If they go out and they sign Charka, then use their second and third, fourths from the McCaffrey-Robbie Anderson trades. The NFC West, the Cardinals, and Rams are going to be terrible. 49ers, we don't know who they're – Sam Darnold might start meaningful games for them next year, the way it's looking. <laughs> he might be their quarterback. No one gives the 49ers stuff for that. They have two third overall picks that stink. Their starting quarterback is going to be the last pick in the draft, and he can't move his elbow. I, I don't know – it's going to be a little rough for the 49ers, I think. Yeah, the only team keeping that 49ers team alive is their defense. Yeah. Especially with the Javon Hargrave signing. That's yeah. the only thing keeping them afloat. Seattle will be better. And then what? You go to the NFC West, you cover the East, South, and then the North, please us. I don't see why we can't. I really don't. Yeah. Philly got worse. Redskins are the Redskins. Or Commanders, whatever. <laughs> They're still always going to be the Redskins. Yeah. Me, so. I don't see why not. The, the only thing, I, I personally think the NFC North is still going to be the most competitive division in the NFC. I think that while the Vikings and the Packers obviously got worse, 
there's still probably 500 teams. Like, they're still probably able to go 9-8 and eight on this season, both of them. I think the Vikings probably have an even higher ceiling than that. Um, I think the Vikings could be a 10-1 team still. You know, that I think, yes, they have lost some pieces on their defense and their offense. They lost a couple pieces. They still have Kirk Cousins, who I think people hate on way too much. He's not the best quarterback in the league, but he's still, I would say, a top 16 quarterback in the NFL. Yeah. They still have Justin Jefferson, who is arguably the best offensive player in the NFL. Dalvin Cook, who is a top five running back in the NFL. No, he's declining. You don't, you don't think so? No. Who would you put ahead of Dalvin Cook? I'd put McCaffrey ahead of him. I would put... Derrick Henry ahead of him. Mm-hmm. I would put, when healthy, Brees Hall, because he looked like he was going to win the rookie of the year in a runaway. I would put let me just Josh Jacobs, who just led the league in rushing. I'd put Nick Chubb ahead of him. I would put, one second. Who's that commander's running back that got shot? Brian Robinson. I wouldn't put Brian Robinson ahead of him. And I would I like put uh, <laughs> Jonathan Taylor ahead of him. I think personally, based on this past season, Miles Sanders. I I can't say personally. I, I think Miles Sanders is better than him. I can't say yet that I think Brees Hall will eventually be better than him. I don't think he's better than him yet. And Jonathan Taylor had a down year this year. Yeah, I think he Dalvin for Cook, Jeff Saturday. Dalvin Cook still had a better season. Yeah, because he had a better team around him. He still had a. He was still the better player this season. Well, let's look at the stats. Mm-hmm. Dalvin I mean, Cook. Let's pull his up. Delvin Cook stats. <clears throat> he had 1,100 yards, 4.4 yards a carry, eight touchdowns, mm-hmm. 39 catches. We'll go to Jonathan Taylor. He played on, in my opinion, the worst team in the league. They just had a couple wins early in the season. And their their defense was still pretty solid, and Michael Pittman had a good season. Yeah. He just... Taylor was more efficient. He just missed more games. Mm-hmm. He had eight, ninety. He had like eighty less carries for eight hundred sixty-one yards, slightly higher yards per carry, and then four touchdowns. If he played the full seventeen games, kind of like Cook, who was able to do it for the first time, he probably would have been more. But I, I guess I'll give you that just because he was injured. Mm-hmm. But I mean, Devil Cook, he's he's twenty-eight now, so mm-hmm. he's gonna be he's on decline. Yeah, but he's still a solid back. Yeah, he's still and, solid. And they, yeah. they still have Alexander Madison behind him, who's a solid number two. I think he's probably top uh, top five number back two running back. Down. Yeah, I, I would give him that. I think they still have TJ Hawkinson as a top five tight end in the league. Yeah. And their O-line isn't awful. They have Christian Darisaw, who had a good season. You know, all these guys, they have they have the ability to still be a good they offense. Got, they got McNeil. Who's good. Yeah. But – so I wouldn't count that team out, and I think the Bears right now have a lot more questions about next season yeah, because we yeah. haven't seen it yet versus the Vikings. So I, I can't count them out. Yes, the Packers, I, I want to count them out more, but at the same time, like you were saying before, we haven't seen Jordan Love yet. Jordan Love could come out and just be Patrick Mahomes, like, but nobody knows. Yeah. So we have to see him for a full season before anybody says, you know, he's a bust or he's the future. Um, I, I would love if he was a bust, not for him. I, that'd be awful for him. He deserves everything. For the Packers, I hope he's yeah. a bust. <laughs> yeah, definitely. Um, you know, and I think because of that, the Bears have the ability to finish 
anywhere in the NFC North this year, first or fourth, yeah, and anywhere in between. And that's how close the NFC North is going to be this year, I really feel. <clears throat> but I, I, I think the Lions are the best team. I think the Lions are probably going to finish first. I think the Lions are going to have a Bengals-type jump this year. And it's going to be really fun to watch. Um, let's let's go in depth in a little bit about these other conferences or divisions. I want to talk about the NFC South a little bit. This division is going to be really tight too, but in a very different way. It's going to be a lot of bad football, probably. Yeah. And you were saying you feel like the Panthers may be, you know, coming out of this division. Is there anybody that will still give them fits, or any teams that you feel like will surprise you out of that? <sighs> I'm not going to go with the Buccaneers because they didn't fix any of their problems, and now they have Baker Mayfield. Who's just going to be Jameis Winston from yeah. three Yeah, I mean, years Bruce ago. Arians, he's still affiliated with Buccaneers. He's always loved Baker Mayfield. Personally, I feel that Todd Bowles should just step aside and get Bruce Arians back in because we all know Tom Brady was the reason why Bruce Arians left. Todd Bowles is a bozo. So. Yeah, I mean, <laughs> and they lost a couple guys on that defense. You know, Keem Hicks is gone. Back to the Bears, maybe. Come back to the Bears, baby. <laughs> we'll take you. Him and Billings would be beautiful. Uh, but they still don't have an offensive line. They let go of Fournette. They, Cameron Brait, who's their number one tight end, retired. Questions at quarterback. I just don't see it. The defense is aging. I don't see it. I mean, in theory, in theory, the Saints should win this division. Because you look at them, you look at their offense. Okay, Derek Carr. Derek Carr is a good quarterback. I think one of the most underrated quarterbacks in the league and overhated. He's played for arguably the worst organization in the NFL over this last decade. You look, you got Michael Thomas is back on a reworked deal. You got arguably the rookie of the year, Chris Olave. You got Rashid Shahid, who is a very explosive as a rookie. You got, you got Kamara and Jamal Williams. Which don't draft Alvin Kamara in fantasy because he's not scoring a touchdown till week twelve with Jamal Williams. And the offensive line is okay, and a, a solid a defense that's been solid over the last few years. But I just don't see it. Yeah. If I had to pick a team out of this, I think the Falcons could I, yeah. be dangerous. I, the more I think about them, I still think as you were saying a, a week or two ago. I still think they're going to try to get – why else would they they're get, setting get Jenny Smith? everything up to get Lamar Jackson. Why else would they do that? Why else would they go out and they re-sign McGarry and then, oh, I think we're going to draft another offensive lineman this year. Hmm. Oh, we're gonna, we really want to run the ball. We're going to spend a lot of money on our defense. Hmm. Huh. <laughs> yeah, I mean, Falcons, it's just the quarterback. It's just such a big question. Because we really – they kind of messed – they messed up originally by not drafting fields. Drafting a tight end with the fourth overall pick. And then they go out, they draft Ritter, and then they put him in way too late. Marcus Mariota was terrible. Other than a couple games where he had, like, you know, two touchdown passes, <laughs> one rushing, I'm back at Oregon. He, hey, 13 of, you know, 17 passing. Because <laughs> he was, like, oddly efficient. But he was bad in the other games. Which Ritter did look better in the last game of the season. But there's that lack of overall weapons other than Drake London, who's good. Mm-hmm. Pitts is injured, but he just hasn't lived up to that potential. I like their running back. Tyler Algier is physical. Watching him run is like watching a motorcycle run over a raccoon. He's fun. He's very. No one talks about his impressive rookie year. But 
I think their defense will be a lot better because, you know, they got Jesse Bates, David Onyemata. But if I had to pick one, just I'd go with the Panthers just because they have a defense already. They signed a couple guys to improve it. They, went, they have a good offensive line, improving, emerging, young. They have a dominant run game now with Miles Sanders. It was even dominant before with Foreman and all the other guys. They have a little trio of Chuba Hubbard and that Blackshear that was a rookie. Ikem Aquanu had a better second half of the season yeah. on that whole line for them. They signed Hayden Hurst, mm-hmm. solid tight end. They, they still have Tommy Tremble, who is yeah. a really good young tight end. I think he has a lot of promise in the future. They signed Adam Thielen, so you got a veteran. They might go get Chark. They have like two second-round picks because of the McCaffrey trades. So they can go out and get a couple receivers. So I had to pick a team. I'd go with them. They'd probably get C.J. Stroud. That's who I would pick with them overall. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, do you feel like C.J. Stroud is – the best fit or just the best overall for that Panthers team? I think he's just the best overall fit. I feel he's the safest out of the guys that can go number one overall because the guys who we think could go potentially go number one overall are Bryce Young, Stroud, and Richardson. Richardson's extremely raw. He's going to really shouldn't even play his rookie year. He's going to take a while. Yeah, he has all the potential in the world, but there were some games where he looked very ugly. And even like his body language, as Josh was saying last week, it was not very good. And Bryce Young is, he's Steph Curry with the football, as Dan Orlovsky says. He's great. You saw it at Alabama. It's just, he's so small. I mean, I, I hate that small argument. That and that he's not overly mobile. Mm-hmm. Like, Kyle Murray didn't matter because he can run around. Like, he's not overly mobile, and he's a lot slimmer than Kyler Murray. All I'm saying is Drew Brees did it for 15-plus years. Yeah, but look at who they had. In. Yeah. They yeah. don't have that talent. They don't have it up front. Like, with him, they always had Jari Evans, Carl Nix, uh, Jermon Bushrod when he was good, uh, Jonathan Goodwin. They had, you know, Ryan Rabtrek, Andrus Pete when he was good. All those guys protecting Drew Brees. They, you know, they got Ike McWanu, They got Bozeman, that uh, Brady Christensen from BYU. You know, they got a solid line, but it's not that. I mean, I'm not opposed to drafting Bryce Young. It's just, uh, if I had to pick, I would go with Stroud just because I think he's the safest. Fair enough, fair enough. Um, you know, let's let's move on to the NFC East a little bit. This is another division that's, I feel like, a little more top-heavy, I guess. Yeah. I think Washington and Dallas, I think, are going to be competitive at points in this season, but I don't think they're competitors, per I se. think Dallas can be competitive, to be honest. Just because they now have a legitimate number two with Cooks. I think they're going to keep Dalton Schultz. I think they're going to work that out because they cut Zeke. Which we, they're going to bring back Pollard. They traded for the second corner, Stephon Gilmore, which is a giant upgrade. They kept everyone on their defense. They wanted to keep that defense dominant, which it is, and they did. They're going to use their first, second-round pick on offensive linemen because their offensive line wasn't very good this year. I think Dallas, I'm not saying it's their year. I hate the Cowboys, but... I don't think they're taking a step back. I think they're taking a step forward. Do you see the Eagles taking a step back? And how big of a step back if you do think so? This year in the regular season, they were the best team in the league. They were the most dominant team from week one to week 18. Other than Jalen Hurts getting hurt, they would have went 16-1. I think they still win their division. I still think they make the playoffs. I think 12-5. and five. Once the, They lost a lot of people. I think they'll be able to replace them pretty well, but they lost a lot of people. Giants, I think they're going to be better. 
You can make a legitimate case for all four of these teams to make the playoffs, mm-hmm. with the least being the Commanders, because they're the Commanders. And I, I think that Commanders team, I think people, for, their defense, it's good. when it's healthy, yeah. is a top five They're going to get a league. Chase Young back fully, as opposed to like the last three games where he was like, he looked like me out there. <laughs> they still have Jonathan Allen and Daron Payne in the middle. Yep. You know, they got solid linebackers. Min Davis backs. is going to get better. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, they have a legit offensive coordinator now. I think Sam Howell can be good. That last game, he looked good. They should have went to him a lot sooner. That was going to be my next question. That was just Ron Rivera being the old school coach that he is. They have two running backs. They have three receivers. Jahan Dodson is very, very good. He was just hurt for five, six games in a row. He's very good. He could have been the receiver number one out of the rookie class if he was healthy the whole season. With the amount of touchdowns he was getting, with McLaurin and Curtis Samuel when he's healthy, they signed Austin Wiley to put him at right tackle. I would favor them. I'd draft Osiris Torrance with their first pink. From the inside, replace Trey Turner, who's like 35. And other than that, you got a pretty solid old line. You know, maybe, oh, Charles Leno. <laughs> but I don't see why they can't be good offensively. Now you got a the enemy, which if we think he's as good as he is, as we say he is, that there's no reason why that that's not a top 10 offense then. Mm-hmm. Josh, do you feel like Sam Howell's the answer, or do you feel like they should go after somebody else, either in free agency or take a sh- chance on somebody in the draft? <clears throat> I think I think it's hard to say because I don't want to put all of my trust into Sam Howell if I'm the GM uh, or even head coach. I mean, I'd probably start him just to get that quote-unquote veteran experience in. Um, But I'd definitely go out and look for one. I mean, who do we got left? You said Carson Wentz, Matt Ryan's still open. Mm -hmm. Who else did you say? I forgot. I mean, technically Tom Brady, if he decides he wants to come out of retirement <laughs> again to play for the Washington Commanders. Um, I mean, <laughs> if I were the Commanders, I mean, they let go of Carson Wentz. One thing well, that no, will he, help them is Wentz Daniel Snyder's gone. Wentz was just on the Colts, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean, I'd probably bring Wentz back. I mean, I'd, I'd give him a one-year deal, you know, just see how it plays out and – like how Sackle said, if you're drafting correctly, signing correctly, whatever, and once you know sees that and you know knows he has his healthy options available now, maybe we see a better Commanders team, at least a 500 team, you know, um, because what last season they were what one loss or one win away from making it in. Yeah, if they just so, if Winston just pooped the bed week 17 and Ron Rivera knew that was a winner go home game. They probably make the playoffs. They they would have made the playoffs. They would yeah. have been the seventh seed. Yeah. So I mean, you probably give Wentz one more shot at it. You know, one year, like I said, one year deal, small deal. You know, have him compete with Howell at least. Yeah, basically, just to have a good quarterback battle, but also for even Howell to learn. You know, um, I mean, if not, you go after a quarterback. I don't know who, um, because other than the really like big five names: Stroud, Richardson, Bryce, Levis and Hayden Hooker. Um, I mean, I don't know I don't know who else is available. I, I really just those were the names I really focused on really. Um but I mean if not you put your trust in Howell but then you beef up the line for him a little bit and then you have your your defense is set, you know? Um especially paying uh paying all that money to stay on the defensive line for them. Which was huge, but like you, I think they have to change their scheme a little bit 
because now you, with what Sackley said, you have that receiver back, and now, like, Terry, scary Terry's still number one, no matter what on that team, but you kind of have to play around with how you want to run things because new quarterback, like, adding bits and pieces on the O-line and having receivers come back healthier now, it's going to be different. It's going to be hard to get it adjusted to, you know, because before it was just Samuel and Terry McLaurin. So, I mean, I think you let Howe play it out for a little bit, but you definitely keep your, your sights open before the draft to, like, you know what, let's bring Wentz back. Let's take a chance on Matt Ryan. Um, or, you know, just, like, never mind those guys. Let's just pick one up. How's our guy? And just let's go with the season, you know? So, yeah. Um. You know, I don't think we have to go in depth very much about the NFC West. I think it's a pretty much a two-man race between San Francisco and Seattle. I'm yeah. pretty, pretty the Rams sure. Rams may be the worst team in the league this year. Yeah. Or what? What? Did, I did want to ask one question about the Rams, though. What do you think is the future of Matthew Stafford? I was just about to say that maybe even the Commanders take a chance on mm-hmm. Stafford. That would be interesting. I, yeah. yeah. I, I also was thinking if the Rodgers trade did fall through for the Jets, go after Stafford right away. That's what I was thinking. That'd be terrifying. If I were the commanders, I'd go after Stafford right now. I think Stafford has one more year left with the Rams because I don't see this team winning more than four games this year. I think they're terrible. I mean, they literally let go of Bobby Wagner. Best edge rusher for nothing. Bobby Wagner for nothing, who's an all-pro linebacker that everyone forgets. They don't have an offensive line. They don't have a running back. They have one receiver now. They don't have a quarter now. Jalen Ramsey's gone. <laughs> it's going to be rough football out there in LA. Thankfully, they don't have any fans, so no one will be too sad. <laughs> but. Um, what, what, how far do you think the Seattle team can go in the NFC West, and do you think they will give San Francisco any fits at all? I think they'll give San Fran some yeah. problems. Oh yeah, I honestly think so. I, I think Geno Smith reached his ceiling, mm-hmm. and I feel like – himself, he's going to push that ceiling higher and go reach it again. You know, I don't think it's going to be the coaches being like, oh, like, you know, you did really, really good last season. Let's just keep it going. I think him himself being also a comeback player of the year, too, was a huge thing for him and his mental because now he pushes that ceiling higher for himself to go and reach that and basically go, like, uh, perform better than this last season, you know? And I think the money was good. The deal they gave him was great. Uh, he deserved it, in my opinion. Um, 100%. But, like, now Seattle will go attack the draft or maybe make a little bit more signings or whatever. But I think they'll attack the draft hard um, and give Gino his weapons. But um, I honestly think if you wanted to solidify that defense, you bring Wagner back on a short, small deal Yes. Um, to help really lock in that defense for you. And I think you have a very, really good Seahawks team that will give a really good uh, 49ers team some problems. Yeah, I mean, they have a top five pick, so they can go out and get Will Anderson, Jalen Carter. That's, the defense was their downfall. The defense was bottom five. You go out, you get someone like that. They already signed Draymond Jones. Uh, you're going to have another first-round pick to, you know, maybe. I mean, their offense is kind of set. I mean, I'd, I'd go, if I were them, I'd go and get a center, really. Go yeah. get Schmitz with that 20th overall pick. Their, their two rookie tackles played really well, especially towards the yeah. end of the season last year. They got two solid guards. Mm-hmm. I would go get a center, make that offensive line really good. 
Draft a running back in like the third, fourth round to pair with Kenneth Walker. Maybe take one of those tight ends just yeah. for the heck of it. Yeah. Another receiver because they got two great ones. Plus Lockett's getting a little up there, but their offense is set, really. Go out, add that defense. There's no reason why they can't give San Francisco, who we don't know who their quarterback's going to be, fits. And I fully believe that Pete Carroll's one of the best coaches in the NFL. He's probably going to yeah. – I think after last season, I feel like he's one of the best coaches of all time. Yeah. Because that team was not supposed to be good. I thought that team was going to go 2-15. Mm-hmm. I thought it was going to be him and the Bears for number one overall. Mm-hmm. And they and they were in that playoff game, too. Mm-hmm. Plus, you know, San Francisco, they lost. Like, McGlinchey, they lost Daniel Brunskill, who was a very important interior offensive lineman. It's two guys down right there. Uh, Debo, he's the best receiver, but the way he plays, he could get hurt. Mm-hmm. George, George Kittle was hurt a lot of last yeah, season. Yeah, he's been yeah. hurt for years. Mm-hmm. You don't have Jimmy G to stabilize it just in case if something goes wrong. Brandon Ayuk just had his breakout season. Yeah. He wasn't really doing anything for the past three years before that. He lost Emmanuel Mosley. He uh, lost D'Amico Ryans. That's a, that's, he's the one calling the defense. You can only do that so many times. First they lost Robert Saylor. They got lucky. They had a good replacement, D'Amico Ryans. Lose D'Amico Ryans. Okay, I don't know who they have right now currently. But you can only replace so many good coaches with good coaches. That's what happens to the old Bengals team. When they had uh, you know, Marvin Lewis, and they were making the playoffs every year with Andy Dalton. They lost Jay Gruden. They lost Mike Zimmer. And they replaced them, and then they, they lost those two guys again. And then they never, all of a sudden their offensive defense looks terrible. Mm-hmm. Helps they lost some talent, but when you lose that many good coaches and go on to be head coaches, it's hard. We only got about 10 minutes before we take a quick break here. I wanted to move over to the AFC just for a little bit. The AFC West was, you know, kind of opposite of the NFC West last year where it was pretty competitive even with the bad teams, especially towards the end of the year. Where do you see this division ending up this season? Chiefs are winning it. I think there's going to be three playoff teams. I think it's going to be the Chiefs, the Chargers, and the Broncos. I think the Broncos will be the seventh seed. Just because they have the reason why their offense is really that bad is because the offensive line. They go out, they get Ben Powers and McClinchy, they're going to draft a guy with their 29th overall pick. I'd go and get Smiths because Lloyd Cushenberry is not the answer at center. Then you have Quinn Myers, who's their best offensive lineman, and you have Garrett Bowles back from injury. And you get Tim Patrick back from injury. And Javante Williams with Sean Payton running the team. I don't see why they can't go out and win nine or ten games. Do you think that team could win the AFC West potentially? No. No? You're not beating the Chiefs. Chiefs are going to get a lot better because their whole defense is rookies this year. They started eight rookies. They're only going to get better. Pacheco is going to have a full year of being the starting running back. Kadarius Toney, who they say they think will be their number one receiver next year, is going to have a full offseason in that offense. Hopefully, just doesn't do anything crazy. Especially with Juju leaving, I think Kadarius Tony is number one already. With with Juju, when Juju left, I think that just happened. Like Tony took his place. Jawan Taylor's an upgrade over Orlando Brown. I don't care. They're gonna go out. Wow. They're gonna have another good draft, and they'll be just fine. Last year, you know, it was kind of a question on whether this receiving core could still keep the Chiefs afloat, and then they they did. You know. Uh, Juju went out there and had almost 1,000 yards, played really well. Do you think a guy, like losing a guy like Juju and not really replacing him, 
is kind of an issue? And do you think losing Eric Bieniemy is going to be an issue too? The thing with Juju, uh, I don't think it's a really big problem for them because Kadarius is younger, faster, and I feel like he can. He's a really good high point ball guy, and I mean he has hops. Like we, I've seen him jump before. Like he's insane, and I feel like he's very underrated. I know it was only his first season. He had an okay start with uh, the Giants, and then gets traded to a Super Bowl winning team, but. I feel like now you give him time to work with Mahomes and to really get comfortable with what they want to run and then, um, you know, just put him out on the field and let him ball. I think that's a very, very good stepping stone for Kansas for like, okay, like Juju wanted to leave, whatever, you know. But we have Kadarius Tony now. Like, we're about to go to work. He's uber talented. Yeah, like I th- can't tackle him. Yeah, like I think he was a way better upgrade than than Juju itself. I mean, Juju was good last season, and then Kadarius Tony came in towards the end. But Juju was the guy last season. But now, like Kadarius Tony is that guy for Kansas. Uh, I mean, they still have Travis Kelsey too. No, Travis yeah, Kelsey definitely. is the best tight end of all time. I, no two argument. great running backs. Yeah, no, it, definitely. It's good. It's gonna be a fun season for them. Uh, I kind of want to skip over, you know, the AFC South. It's the AFC South. You know, nothing's happening yeah, there. Jags are going to win that yeah, division. Yeah, basically. Um, the AFC East I wanted to talk about a little bit, though. That division is looking very competitive now that the Dolphins buffed up their defense. The Bills got a little bit worse, and the Jets look like they're getting better. Who's coming out of this division? I think the Jets could. If they get the money right for Rodgers and Rodgers ends up leaving, I think the Jets can come out of this because now he has his wide receiver one. He has Lazard. And I, without a doubt, Lazard's number one. Garrett I, Wilson is still there? No, obviously, yeah, Garrett Wilson, but he, he's he's going to tell them, like, he's just going to, Lazard's one, you know, like. And then Wilson's two. And then you have a really good defense. And Brees Hall didn't leave, did he yet? No, he's there. So, yeah, he's still there. Great running yeah. back. The offensive line was good before Vera Tucker got hurt. You get Vera Tucker back. You get a left tackle. Be- Becton should be back. Becton is back. Becton could be a top I five right guy. tackle in the league. Yeah. He was the one ticket. that lost all that weight, right? Mm-hmm. He's yeah. huge. Dude, he is. He I, can when, move. Dude, like when I saw him in the draft, that dude was massive. And then what? Last week I saw a picture of him. That dude lost so much weight, yeah. bro. I, I pick an He's offensive lineman. talented. I pick an offensive lineman in every draft that I'm going to cheer for. Makai Becton was my guy. That yeah. I think he has so much potential. When he yeah. plays, he's good. He's just always hurt. Mm-hmm. If he can yeah. stay healthy and Vera Tucker stays healthy, you saw them early in the season when they were just running the ball everywhere because Wilson was Wilson. Uh-huh. And they win games, 6-2 and two start. That's what they'll do. Now you put Aaron Rodgers with that defense, that's going to get even better because they're not all rookies anymore. The Jets, like, the Bills are scared of the Jets. They legit, Mike White played that second game with, like, eight broken ribs, and they still almost won that game. Both games, Josh Allen, he had that look, and he was visibly frustrated. He was on the bench after the game. He does not like playing the Jets. And the Bills got even worse. If, If Josh Allen's letting Mike White get to him in that game last season... I think Rodgers is Josh Allen's kryptonite. That's a definite. That is that is one hundred percent definite. Those got worse. Yeah. I mean, they lost Tremaine. Tremaine Edmonds. Edmonds, yeah. 
They didn't really sign anybody. Who else? Their line hasn't really gotten better. They didn't add anyone to the line. Their running back group is exactly the same, the too. Receivers are exactly the same, minus the late season additions, like, you know, Cole Beasley and John Brown. But th- those aren't even, those are guys you sign for a little bit just so that you have a little extra firepower. Yeah, that's it. And then, who else did they lose? I, they're just the same they team. They almost yeah, lost Jordan Poyer. Uh-huh. Yeah, I mean, they didn't really lose or sign anyone. And besides the Tremaine Edmonds one, they're still the same. They're still the same team that we saw last season. So, Because they were about to lose that linebacker. Um Matt Milano. Matt Milano, yeah. Yeah, they yep. were, but they re-signed him, so. I mean, if Tua can stay healthy, if he stays healthy, there's no reason why the Dolphins can't win this division. My opinion, it will be Jets, Dolphins, and Bills. I think the Bills take a step back and they're a wildcard team. My opinion. If they don't absolutely nail the draft, they're going to be a wildcard team. I think the Bills have the potential to miss the playoffs. Yeah. I think they're that much of they're that much of a wild card team in general that like they could be still very good and win that division. I think they have a really huge shot of missing the playoffs, especially if you think the AFC West is going to be as good as it is. Yeah. And I think the AFC North is going to be better. I think the Browns are going to be a better team. Oh yeah. I think Pittsburgh is still going to be competitive Bill and Baltimore. Well, they had a winning record this year somehow. Mm-hmm. And the Bengals are the Bengals. So that entire AFC North yeah. is going to be competing. AFC is just a murderer's row of just mm-hmm. teams. Like an AFC, it's open. Really. There's the Eagles, Niners, and then everyone else. Mm-hmm. With You can make a case for like six or seven AFC teams to win the Super Bowl in 2023. Make, obviously, the Chiefs. You make a case for the Jets if they fulfill the Rodgers trade. You make a case for the Dolphins if Tua stays healthy. Jaguars. And even if he does get hurt, you have Mike White now. <laughs> who is Josh Allen's group? Like He's you guys Mike effing <laughs> White. Who, if he was able to look that good in New York, imagine what he would do with Hill, Waddle, Mike McDaniel. Mike Gasicki. He's gone. He's gone. Oh, yeah, He's on the Patriots. Signs somewhere. Imagine what he would look like with in a in a stable environment. In a non-abusive quarterback environment. <laughs> you made a case for them. Justin Herbert's Justin Herbert. If that team around him could just do what they're supposed to do, you can make a case for that team. You can make a case. If the Browns go out and run the ball like they have, the defense gets a little bit better, and Deshaun Watson looks like prime Deshaun Watson. Why not them? The Bengals, they, they now have a left tackle. They Jonah Williams is gone. He just wants to trade. I hate Jonah Williams. <laughs> I hate him. If they go out and nail the draft, add another lineman, help get re- replenish the safeties, add a guy here and there, they're not that far away. Jags. Offense had a great year. Now you, you add Calvin Ridley, who when he last played was a top 10 receiver. Those young guys in your defense, you hope, take a next step. Yes. Trayvon Walker hopefully takes a next yes. step. He looked better at the end of Josh the season. Josh Allen, the real Josh Allen. <laughs> Why not them? They had the worst center in the league last year as a rookie. They'll get a little better. Mm-hmm. Why not them? Yeah, it's, it's going to be a firefight out there. And I Personally, I think the Dolphins are just going to be something else. They They have to be, right? It's their year. We've been uh-huh. saying this ever since they started the rebuild and they had the 10 picks from the Tunsil trade that they turned to Waddle, Tyreek Hill, and Larry <laughs> Tunsil's had a 30-for-30 30 30 worth type type of career. Uh-huh. Just that trade alone is, like, insane. There's, yeah, the Dolphins just have so much talent. There's no reason why they shouldn't at least be 12-5, and 13-4. Yeah. Oh, yeah. 
it's going to be a fun season in the AFC. We're going to take a quick break. When we come back, we got another food battle for you based on the teams that Ryan Poles fleeced this offseason. And then after that, we're going to talk a little March Madness, have another draft for you guys. And if we got a little time at the end, we'll give you some updates on the World Baseball Classic. We'll be right back. We'll be right back with the BJB Show on WRSE. Welcome back to the Blue Jay Boys Show. Welcome back to the Blue Jay Boys Show. If you are just tuning in, you missed us talk about what's happening in NFL free agency, who's left, and what we think is going to happen in the NFL next season. Now we are moving on to our food battle. Uh, We got a great matchup for you guys this week. The fans voted, and they picked Buffalo Wings in honor of Tremaine Edmonds coming to the Bears and Krispy Kreme Donuts in honor of DJ Moore coming to the Bears. First, we got the Buffalo Wings from Wingstop, a classic wing place. We didn't want to get beat-ups because we thought that's a little basic. You know, Wingstop is still, you know, up there with the most popular, but Pyramid Club was going to take a little long, according to Sackley. Yeah, (laughs) it was... It would have been good, but it would have just taken too long, and I was, yeah. (laughs) We'll give you guys a full Pyramid Club review one of these days. The eighth wonder of the world. (laughs) (laughs) Um, And then, like I said, we have the donuts from Krispy Kreme, classic North Carolina place, apparently. I learned that uh, last week when we were researching for this battle. Uh, Krispy Kremes are some of my favorites, classics. Only problem with Krispy Kreme is there's never one within, like, 10 minutes. You always got to go, like, 20 minutes away (laughs) you get there. Josh, what are we starting with this week? Donuts. Let's start with the donuts. Exactly. Donut for you. Thanks. The lady, when I got these, said they were fresh off the line. It's been a little bit since I got them, but still should be fresh. Here's some ASMR. <laughs> we don't want ASMR. <laughs> Bro. Josh, first reaction there. Even though they're not fresh off the line, still super fluffy. Melts in your mouth. Very the the glaze they put on it is beautiful. It's it, this is a classic. It's it's hard to beat. Exactly. Already finished the donut. <laughs> Delicious. Yeah, I mean, very sweet, very flavorful. Just for a glazed donut, you'd be very flavorful. Very good. Yeah, I would have thought the actual donut part would have like hardened up by now a little bit. Mm-hmm. It is still so fluffy, and I don't know what they do at Krispy Kreme, but it literally just like there's just juice in the donut somehow. As the delicious sugar juice, the glaze is by far the best thing. It's going to be a tough, tough round here. Next up, we got the buffalo wings from Wingstop. Sackley also paired them with some fries for us and maybe give it a little more of a battle between the donuts here. Start us off, Sackley. All right, here we go. Nice little bone-in wing. Didn't want to go boneless. I thought that was kind of a weak move. Mm -hmm. Mmm. Good amount of meat on them. It's still warm. Oh, yeah, there you go. Not too spicy. First impression, exactly. Good meat on them. Not too spicy. Good, fl- good flavor to them. Good aftertaste. Very quality wing. Josh, what are you thinking? Sorry, my mouth is full. Um, classic flavor, original hot, I believe it was, mm-hmm. right? 
Um, yeah, like you said, good amounts of meat, cooked pr- perfectly. I could destroy about this whole thing if it wasn't for everyone here. <laughs> um, but yeah, like really good, hard to beat. I do like these a little bit. They're cooked a bit crispier than Buffalo Wild Wings. So, but yeah, very good, classic. I love it. I love it. Yeah, you, the, Indian, the Indian guy who made them was legit. He had the sandals and everything. <laughs> he might have been Middle Eastern just like me. So, if you see the sandals, he was an older gentleman. He took his time. I was there for like 10 minutes. It was good. Yeah, I love a good crispy wing. I'm with Josh on this. I think like B-dubs, the skin just kind of like falls off all slimily. It's like chewy. Mm -hmm. Yeah. This, it's all together. The meat, the skin, it's all kind of combines well together. The sauce. tastes good. Mm -hmm. Why are you eating the bone? (laughs) I eating the bone. The bone marrow is that people eat it like that. All right. Not for me, but hey, you do. (laughs) (laughs) Um. Personally, I wish the sauce was a little hotter. Yeah, I can see what you're saying. Sometimes they douse it, mm-hmm. and there's, like, sauce at the bottom. But in this case, this one doesn't have sauce at the bottom. But I can understand what you're saying. Yeah. I can understand. I think that's my biggest concern with it. The fries paired with them. I love fries. Like, if you guys know me, fries are top two food for me. Like, no matter how. I mean, potatoes are honestly top two food for me. <laughs> I love potatoes. So that helps out a little bit. That Krispy Kreme, man, it just hit me in the spot. Like, when I had the first bite of the Krispy Kreme, I was like, oh, yeah. When I had the first bite of the wing, I was like, yeah, that's pretty good. You know? There's a big discrepancy. So we're taking Krispy Kreme for you? I'm taking Krispy Kreme. What about you, Sackley? I'm just not that big of a sweets guy, so I'm going to go with the wings. Josh, you're the deciding vote here? Me, unfortunately, um, hate to be the deciding factor on it, but I'm going to go with the wings. Um, I like, you know, doesn't have anything to do with it, but Mexican, I love the spice. It's good. Um, it, if it was a little bit hotter, it would have been really nice, but it still got some kick in it. Mm-hmm. Um, but I love me a nice cooked, perfectly crispy wing. And, I mean, I eat a drum, but I'm more of a flats guy, and there are a lot of flats in here, so that had nothing to do with my decision. But, um, but yeah, I'm going to go with the wings on this one. Understandable. I, I think most people, if they're a real wing person, they like the flats better than the drums usually. And, you know, I'm more of a drum guy. I'm not really a wing guy. I had some bad experience with wing stop in the past. Maybe that's influencing my decision here. But these ones were pretty good. I still got to give to Krispy Kreme personally. But overall, sounds like the wings are the winner for the Blue Jay Boys show. We'll post something on Instagram after the show asking you guys who you think would have won. On that Instagram post, go ahead and tag three of your friends. Uh, comment and tell us what you think would have won this battle for you. And then when you do that, we'll put you guys into a poll for next week's episode. Uh, we'll do a random uh, name generator, and whoever comes out of that will win $15 to go ahead and get themselves an order of wings from Wingstop. So, again, be sure to pay attention to our Instagram after the show. One of us will be posting it. Uh, win yourself some money here. JP, maybe this one will be your week. I know you've been joining every week. <laughs> Dang, Josh is praying on JP's downfall here. Yep. <laughs> All right, that's going to do it for our food battle this week. Thank you to everybody who voted for the matchup. We really appreciate you guys. Uh, if you guys want to know the numbers, the Wings got three votes and Krispy Kreme got three votes. Nashville Hot Chicken and the Pretzel both only got one vote each. So I think it was a pretty, pretty decided thing there. We are going to move on to March Madness here uh, and I can say without a doubt, this has definitely been madness this year. 
like the past couple of years have been pretty wild. This year was something else. Exactly. What was your favorite game so far in March Madness? I love the little guys. I love the underdog, Fairleigh Dickinson versus Purdue. Mm-hmm. Josh, what about you? Furman versus Virginia, correct? Mm-hmm. Yeah, that one was my favorite. Virginia always somehow does it every year. They always choke, whether it be in the first round, Sweet 16, whatever. They always do it. So, Why do you think Virginia is always somehow falling out of, like, the first or second round lately? That's how they play. They don't have a great offense. They take a lot of tough shots. They rely on their defense. That doesn't work on the NCAA tournament game. They always have, like, a big traditional big man. They play a very, like, 90s-style basketball. NCAA tournament is faster. It's more spread out. It's never going to work. Mm-hmm. I think one of the biggest things this year, too, is the ACC was just, like, really bad. When you watched regular season play, and my Miami Hurricanes are in the ACC, and they ran a lot of the ACC this year. They, they, they ran Indiana, too. Mm-hmm. Um, when you were watching ACC basketball, even when Miami was good, they still didn't look that good. There's a lot of things that they were doing out there that looked like they were inexperienced, which a lot of them were. Which is weird because that Miami team has a lot of seniors and so it's like seniors and sophomores. There's no juniors. There's not really any freshmen playing for that squad. But you look at a lot of the other teams in ACC. Virginia is like all old dudes. That team is just it's it's stuck in the past. ACC basketball is just stuck in the past. Virginia is never going to have great talent because it's such a hard academic school. And you look at some of these other ACT, ACC teams, like Duke didn't look very good this year. No. You know, none of those other teams, like West Virginia wasn't really looking very good. They're Big 12, but, you know, that area is just, I, I don't know what the issue is. What do you think the ACC needs to change to end up being a competitive basketball conference again? I think the reason why the ACC is so down right now is because all, of the, all of the legendary coaches are gone now. Roy Williams is gone. You know, Coach K's gone. Uh, the only real, like, one that's been around for a while is Jim Laranega in Miami. I mean, Pittsburgh did have a great year. They kind of bought that team, according to Jim Beheim. Mm-hmm. Syracuse in the ACC? Mm-hmm. Yes, yeah. I mean, he's been past his prime. My opinion, I thought he should have retired, like, 2017. So he's kind of, plus, they run that zone. No one was going to want to play for you if, they can't even show that they can play defense to base scouts. They haven't had a legit – all they get is, like, these transfers now. They can't go out and get a Carmelo Anthony or a <coughs> some of the great players of before. they got to rely on these, like, older veterans that they developed over three, four years and transfers from, you know, New Mexico State or something. They, they just haven't been able to get that talent. See, those are the top three teams of the league usually. They've all been down. You look around, North Carolina State, you know, they were always, eh. Haven't really been much since the Valvano days. I just think they need, all these new coaches need to get, like, more settled in, kind of. I mean, North Carolina this year, that whole situation between Armando Baycott and Caleb Love, that just derailed the whole season. Caleb Love, for whatever reason, decided to sleep with Armando Baycott's girlfriend, and then the two best players now hate each other. That's not going to work. That team looked like they hated each other. 
Herbert Davis is just, oh, I don't know what to do. Like, I, I don't know what to do. They, these guys, like, have legitimate beef outside of basketball. It's just the recruiting's been down. The transfer portal has completely changed college basketball. NIL's changed college basketball. The talent is more spread out. out. He's COVID. The COVID year of ex- eligibility still is a big factor with all these guys having extra years. It's just completely different now. We, we had talked about this in college football a couple months ago, if you guys remember back then, is the, the parity in college sports now is so much larger. Yeah. Like, there's – like I mean, you just look at this March Madness. How many mid-major teams went out there and surprised the world in those first two days? Yeah. Princeton, Fairleigh Dickinson, Furman, Furman hadn't made the tournament since 1980. <laughs> No one's taking these JUCO guys anymore. So these JUCO guys go, who usually would be a Power 5 guy, they'd go to, uh, you know, mid-majors, low-major schools, and then they'd go out and they dominate. It's completely changed everything. It's transfer portal and NIL. Mm-hmm. Talent is way more spread out. Anyone can win it. These last few years, there's been no blue bloods. Kentucky struggled in the tournament. They won their first tournament game in, like, 1,800 days. Uh, you know, Duke hasn't really been in there as much. Michigan State, I know they, they're in a sweet 16, but they had a couple down years. Yeah. It's completely different. E- even, like, the, the like, half-blue-blood teams, like the Wisconsins yeah. and the Villanovas. Like they, what? Villanovas are gone because they lost Jay Wright. Yeah. But Wisconsin, you know, they made the NIT. Michigan, mm-hmm. they're trending downward. They're just not getting the talent. People don't want to go there. Mm-hmm. And it's like it just left – Gonzaga, and I think Gonzaga's even on the verge. They were a three seed, and they're still playing in the tournament this year. After they lose Drew Timmy, I I don't think that team's going to be the same team anymore. No. It's it's going to be really interesting to see what happens in the ACC. Um, do you feel that a lot of these you know smaller teams making you know huge upsets in the tournament? How much do you think that affects the NBA draft moving forward? I mean, I think we could see a lot more small school guys because the talent's more spread out, get drafted now. I think more so what's affecting the NBA draft is all these guys going to the G League or overtime elite, those leagues. Because arguably the top three, four American players are in the G League right now. Overtime elite's getting some legit talent as well. And overseas has been better than we've ever seen before. We've had four straight European MVPs and most likely this Next MVP, whether it's Jokic and Bede or Giannis, it's going to be a foreign-born player. Shoot, if you even go to the fourth guy, which is probably Luka Doncic, there's another foreign it's guy. Better than we've ever seen before. Insane. Do you think this type of parity in college basketball is good for college basketball oh, or yeah. bad for college basketball? It's great. People get tired of the same teams over and over and over again. This is, now we have NC tournament where anyone can win, really. It makes it way better. The Big East is back. Big East has a couple good teams now. You got UConn, which was a great addition. They got him back. Xavier's, they looked dominant yesterday. Marquette, even though they lost yesterday, was still looking really good the entire season. They were all the way up to a, a sixth seed in the regular season poll. Yeah. I mean, this parody's great. Mm-hmm. Looking at the field now, you look at it, I really can't say who's going to win. Kansas lost. They're not in the defending champion is out. I honestly think Alabama's still a, a huge threat right now. I mean, 
they just look unstoppable compared to the rest of the teams in the. And that's a team that's never been a basketball school. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. We got these football schools all of a sudden that are now great at basketball, like Texas. Miami's Miami. Miami. Yeah. Alabama. St. Diego State's been a good mid-major college football team, but their team was always around. Mm-hmm. They'll give Bama a hard time. Uh, TCU, I mean, almost made it. That was a close game with Gonzaga. Tennessee. Houston. I mean, they used to be a basketball school, kind of became a football school yeah, for a little bit. Yeah, they were gone for 30, 40 years, uh-huh. and then Ralph Calvin Sampson revitalized that program. Mm-hmm. I mean, that's a that's a non-Power 5 team, too. I mean, that's – this is great. Yeah. Josh, what do you feel the NCAA itself will do to kind of either keep this going? Do you think they're going to try harder to promote these smaller schools? Or do you think they'd rather the bigger schools make a majority of the money and bring them that money personally? Or like, do you feel like the NCAA business-wise likes what's happening? Business-wise, I think they love what's happening right now. I don't think they like. I think they love. Um, because, like you guys said before, seeing the same old team over and over again. It's like the same thing with, like, if we said something about SEC football, you know, like um, – Correct me if I'm wrong, but like Alabama and in, in there, Georgia all the time, whatever the case may be, we see the same powerhouse teams over and over and over again. But then you see someone like now going back to basketball, Princeton, all of a sudden, you know, kicking kicking butt and beating whoever. I forgot who. Um but um <clears throat> like you have schools like that that usually um <clears throat> Princeton's like a well-known school for like education. Nerds. Yeah. <laughs> and the investment bankers that will take our economy in the next 16 years. <laughs> no. Yeah, and there's a viral video going around that it's someone who goes to Princeton and says um Princeton University after they make the uh, round of 16. That campus is quiet. Peaceful and quiet. They don't care. They, they were doing homework. <laughs> yeah. So, I mean, I think right now the NCAA loves what's happening because it's bringing in more viewers. Because it's like, oh my God, are they gonna? Are they the new Cinderella? Like, are they the new? Um, what was his name? Pete with the mustache. Doug Eater. Doug, Doug Eater. Yeah. Is is he is he the new is he the new one? Like, oh my God, who do we got? You know, like, look, a legit acquisition analyst led Princeton to the Sweet Sixteen. Like, look, look at his LinkedIn profile. <laughs> like, he's like he like. Instead of training basketball, he worked like an internship with someone. He's like us, basically. Like, that's awesome. Yeah, like, so right that's now. That's a great storyline. <laughs> like, right now, the NCAA is making a crap ton of money off of this. They love it. Because now it's like, if people saw the same thing over and over again, you know, it's just like, eh, okay, one of these powerhouse teams are going to win. But now that we got, you know, <clears throat> we got some, like, Guys creeping around in the round. Arkansas of- is slowly becoming a powerhouse of a program year in and year out. Yeah, so, I mean, you got teams that you'd never expect, and then you got teams that you do expect, and I think they like the, the variety that they have in this, you know? And it, may, it makes it fun. It makes it interesting. It, it, it um, Although it may be illegal, it opens up a lot of betting and stuff, you know, and it, it gets them intrigued of, like, certain avenues into making profits and everything, so... I mean, you look at the Sweet 16 right now. Who's all in it? 
ha- like two of the teams are teams that have been consistently in it the past few years. Everybody else is just like guy teams yeah. that have come out of nowhere in the past two years. Kansas State was projected to be last in the Big Twelve this year. Mm-hmm. Yeah, we're so- UCLA and Gonzaga are playing each other in the Sweet Sixteen. Those are the two teams that everybody has seen for the past five years. That's All a great the- matchup, though. Uh-huh. Even, you know, Timmy's going out for revenge. UCLA was the team that originally beat the Adam Morrison-led Gonzaga team. Uh-huh. That's I mean, a good storyline. Is gonna Tri- Triple J? Dude, he's going to kill that team. He's gonna Viva Mexico. <laughs> um, I asked you guys this last week before the tournament got going. Who do you think out of this tournament is going to get a draft boost? Because of how they're playing. I definitely think uh, Triple J, Jaime Hawkins Jr. can. But also, we talked about it a little bit before the show and before uh, <laughs> uh, Sackley got here. Uh, Brandon Miller from Alabama. Um, I think he could definitely have a major, major boost in draft stock. But what I was telling you, what we were talking about is that it wasn't up until I think with like 10 minutes left or something like that, Brandon Miller had not scored a point at all for that team, not during the Maryland game, against the Texas A&M uh, Corpus Christi game. It took him so long to get a bucket. And all season, all we saw was him getting buckets. You know, and you even said the secondary guy who's really good at playing ball. What was his name? Yeah, uh, Javon Quinterly. He's a dog. Like, he stepped up during that game, you know. Cause all I did was I kept watch I kept going back to the stats like you know I kept like I I wouldn't watch it and then I would and I would check his stats just to see good assists good rebounds stuff like that but I know it it goes with draft stock it goes to the all around player how the player is as a person but it does come down in the end to points assists etc right so. When you have a performance like that where you're not helping your team until the last end bit of that game, that's not something that's, that's you know, that's sexy. That's, it's not, you know. No one, no team's going to look at it and be like, ooh, last 10 minutes? Let me get that guy, you know. It's, ha- they have to be well-rounded, and he is. He's a very, very good player. But we have to see the consistency we saw out of him out of the regular season right now. Because what these players don't understand, you're not just playing for the NCAA championship right here. You're playing to get your draft pick right here. Because if you're just like how we said with Anthony Richardson with bad, you know, body language and stuff. I'm not saying, by no means am I saying Brandon Miller has bad body language, right? I'm just saying he cannot not produce like he was before. And all of a sudden not do it and just assist and rebound and have his team win the game. That's unacceptable, you know. And he can't do it with only five minutes left, ten minutes, whatever, you know. He has to be the Brandon Miller we saw during the season, regardless of the allegations going around. We have to see the Brandon Miller we saw before and really kick it into gear to just get to that championship game and just smooth right at home back to Alabama with a trophy. I think a lot of in that first game, too, with uh, him, it, it was more that I don't know if it was really that he couldn't score for that time. It was more that they were playing Texas Corpus Christi. Mm-hmm. And, like, he didn't feel like he had to score. Maybe the coaches didn't feel like he had to do much, especially after he was struggling in the first part. 
Yeah, and that like, could that be second part. Like that. It was just kind of like, well, what's the point of trying to overdo it now? And we'd rather save you for the rest of the tournament because he came out in that game, the second game against Maryland, and played really well. I think he had like twenty five points in that one. Okay, then yeah, and if that's something that's happened, then I I can understand that, mm-hmm. you know. And it makes sense, you know. Texas A&M, Corpus Christi, what six? They were like sixteen, fifteen, mm-hmm. whatever. Yeah. So I mean, I, I can understand that, and you want to save his talent because you know what kind of player he can be, and that makes sense. Then you know, all my statements are rebuttaled. You know what that means? Yeah. You know, you, you get it. So I mean, even though they're they're putting they put a leash on him for a team like that and whatever, and then they took it off and let him play, I'm just scared it's gonna be like a fluctuation with them. Mm-hmm. You know. What, what I see out of it, and I think, you know, I don't know if NBA teams are necessarily looking at this too, but for him to be able to say, I'm not playing well, and the coach to be able to say, okay, let's just let's give you a rest for this game. Just do, do the small things. And him being able to go out and do that and be able to take that and be like, it's not hurting his confidence. It's that he knows he's having a bad game, but he needs to do something else. I think that looks really good to NBA scouts, too. I think that's something that I've seen guys like LeBron James have been able to. Steph Curry, Nikola Jokic, when they're having bad offensive games, they know how to take a step back and help everybody else improve so that their team can still win a game. And there's not a lot of guys who can do that. You know, I think of guys like Trey Young doesn't do that very well. John Morant doesn't do that very well, where they're just like, they're going to take their shots no matter what. And I think that can be extremely detrimental to an NBA team because you look at a team like the Grizzlies, where... They looked better when John Morant wasn't playing. Yeah. And they still looked pretty good when Ja is playing. Mm-hmm. But when he was hurt at the beginning of the season, that team went undefeated. Like, that was nuts. And it's because he was forced to take a step back by the injury. When he's on that court, he's taking 20 shots a game, no matter what. He could miss every single one, and he's still putting up 20 shots. That can really hurt a team. What I like to be able to see is a guy like Brandon Miller go, hey, I missed my first five shots. Maybe I shouldn't shoot as much. Maybe I should end up with 12 shots this game mm-hmm. instead of the 20 that people probably think he deserves as one of the best players in this draft or going into this draft. I think Brandon Miller has a possibility to be a sneaky number one pick in this one. Oh, definitely. I, yeah. Victor Wembanyama has the potential to be an NBA-altering player. Brandon Miller has the potential to be one of the most solid players in the NBA for a really long time. Yeah. And I think if you're a team like, let's say, the Orlando Magic, who have a couple big men, somehow end up with that number one overall pick, need one more wing, Brandon Miller, Miller is going to come in and be a solid player right off the bat. Definitely. And has only room to grow. Versus Victor Wenbanyama is coming in, a skinny 18-year-old who, yes, at times looks really good, but, you know, we've seen that in the past. Michael Olawakandi was a skinny 18-year-old who had a lot of potential. And he got taken really high in the draft and failed. Hashim Thabit? Hashim Thabit, same thing. You know, potential isn't everything. It's obviously huge, but I don't think you can put everything on potential. And a guy like Brandon Miller, who obviously already has the maturity on the basketball court. Obviously, he doesn't have the maturity outside the basketball court. No, definitely, yeah. If you got a case against you, you don't have the maturity. You know, that's just all it is. But on the basketball court, as an NBA player, he could potentially be one of the most mature players out of this class. And I think that is a really huge upside to a lot of NBA teams because of that. And then you talk about his teammate, Javon Quinterly, who's bumping up his draft stock like crazy by oh, being yeah. able to step up when Brandon Miller has to take a step back. You know, that's a huge thing for teams who are looking for a six-man, seventh-man off their bench to start off with a rookie. And eventually he can play himself into a starting role, kind of like a Buddy Heel type situation, mm-hmm. you know? 
Is there any players in this tournament that you think are losing a lot of draft stock after this, exactly? Hey, whatever draft stock Zach Eady had, that went out the window. I don't think they were very high on him to begin with. I think that, chances are he's probably going to get second round undrafted. Yeah, I mean, what team was he for? Purdue. Purdue. The big guy. Uh, he's done. Uh, not that he did bad, but Keontae George didn't really have the run that we thought he could have. Baylor going down to Creighton. Uh, other than that, I mean, this this year is very underwhelming for the American college players. I, so no one really too huge, I think, hurt themselves. I mean, I, I, I meant to ask you this on break because, like, there are some things I can't say on air. <laughs> but um, there was a Duke player that everyone was clowning. I, it was a it was a, white, Lively? it was a white boy. Kyle Fildkowski? Maybe, yeah. yeah. They, were, they were clowning him, but they were like, I can't say it, you know, out loud right now. But, like, for some reason, like, everyone was going after him because they were saying, like, I guess he's the best player on that Duke team, I guess, for them. So he, I think, was he the guy who's a transfer from West Virginia? And he was, like, West Virginia's best player. And then he transferred to Duke, and everybody in West Virginia was mad at him for transferring because it's either him or so, – I can't remember if it's him. But there's one guy, and Kyle Filipowski, like, he was really good at being big. Like, that's his thing is he's just a big dude. And it's very good in college basketball. But then he looked not big when they were playing, you know, some of these other teams. Yeah, um, and obviously that doesn't really help you out, especially with, you know, the other situation going on with some unsavory pictures going around with him like that. Yeah, I think that that could possibly kill his draft stock, but I also don't feel like he had that high of a draft stock in the first place. <laughs> um, <laughs> um, I think he's kind of like on that level with Zach Eady where – He's a very good college player, and you see a lot of these dudes. You know, you look at Luca Garza from last year. These are guys that are meant to be in college basketball, but then their skills don't translate to the NBA. So beyond all that outside stuff that's happening with him and how people feel about him as a person or as a player, I don't think, even if you push all that to the side, he's not that talented in terms of potential and ceiling. I think he is what he is right now, and that kills him in the draft. And I think if Duke had somehow made a run and he was a huge part of that, that could have helped him out a little bit. But I don't think, you know, him going from undrafted to a second-round pick is that big of a jump compared to some of these other guys like Javon Quinterly, who's probably going to take a second-round pick to early or late first-round pick jump after this tournament. So it'll be uh, really interesting. Exactly. Who do you think is coming out of March Madness this year after the first two rounds? UCLA. I trust them. I think they're the most veteran team. They have a lot of guys left from the team that won or made it very far in 2021. Tiger Campbell, Jaime Hakez Jr., Mark Bailey's a very good player. The dude with the mask, I can't remember his name, but he was very active in the game. I just think they're the best team remaining. Josh, who do you got? Uh, Sackley made a good pick with UCLA, but respectfully, I disagree. I think Alabama right now, I feel like they're way too, they're way too advanced in how they play basketball right now, uh, especially with Brandon Miller and the other gentleman you uh, talked about. Um, I think 
whoever gets in their way, they're just going to run right over. And obviously, if they lose, I'm going to look goofy. And, you know, I'll take that, you know. But I think this Alabama team is really dangerous. I think that UCLA team is very dangerous because, like I said, that veteran experience. Um, I don't think anyone else really besides maybe Gonzaga gives them a problem. But, like, I, I already have it in my bracket, Alabama-UCLA. Like, that's my championship game. But I have Alabama coming out on top. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean, in my bracket, I got Alabama winning it too. But at the same time, based on what I've seen from these first two rounds, any single one of these Sweet 16 teams can win the NCAA. I think Princeton has a shot to make a run. Most definitely. Like, that that's how wild this tournament has been so far. I think, though, at the same time, and I, I don't want to pick something that you guys already picked. I would say Alabama's probably, in my mind, the most overall talented team. I think – you know, they may not have the most experience like a team like UCLA or Gonzaga, but I think they just have the most talent out of it all, and most NBA-ready talent. Um, but I think Gonzaga is just there every year, and I don't think I can count them out until they lose a game. And I think a guy like Drew Timmy, who's done it for so long, I, I, I don't think people put enough credit onto those guys that stay for that long and how much they help these young teams actually win games. Crazy thing with Timmy is everyone acts like he's like this lightly old like 6th year covid <laughs> he's he's only he's only like a true senior. Like he's not even that old. Uh-huh. Like, he could come back next year but like he's not even like that old. He's 21, 22. Mm-hmm. Like, he's not even that old. Well, you think in terms of college basketball yeah. like that that's old. You know, yeah. that that's a veteran in college basketball nowadays. Um, and I think a guy like that can really help out a team like Gonzaga get past on these other teams that in any day could lose, you know, any day. So I think Gonzaga's going to make a big push. And I think, you know, just being a fan, Miami's going to make a little run here. I think they look like a look lot good. of fun. Yeah, they look good. Like, it's a fun team to watch. Their only issue is their offense is either on or it's off. There's no in-between for Miami. It's either they are getting scored 20 on them in the first quarter and they score zero, or like yesterday where they put up like 17 before the other team or before Indiana put up like four points. Yeah. So it's either it's one or the other. I think guys like Isaiah Wong on Miami have to be on 24-7. That's another guy I think could get some draft talk after this because he's been playing so well. He's a junior uh, guard. He's 6'4", so he's a big dude uh, (coughs) playing that point guard position. He's been playing really well for them. So if he keeps that up, he can be somebody who jumps up in the draft. But – you know, being a homer, I think Miami could go a little far here. And R.I.P. Marquette, that made me sad yeah. yesterday. I really thought they were going to be Michigan State. I hate Michigan State, too. But Marquette almost pulled it out, and then they didn't almost pull it out. All right, folks, we got about 20 minutes left in the show to kind of bridge between the March Madness and the uh, World Baseball Classic. We have another draft coming up here for you guys. This draft, uh, because of what's been happening in March Madness and what's been happening in the World Baseball Classic, all these huge storylines that are coming up in these wild games that are happening, we wanted to talk about some of our personal favorite sports stories and go into sports movies and pick our top three sports movies. Josh, you get the first pick on this one. Who are you taking? A, a nice classic. I always loved watching it. The Blind Side. That one. That one really like. That one really made me like love football. Um, I watched it a lot as a kid, um, and it's just a. It's a great movie that I watch every time. I'm going with the Water Boy. <laughs> <laughs> That's a great Adam Sandler impression. I love it. Bobby Boucher. <laughs> 
Psychology is true. Psychology is Adam Sandler. <laughs> <laughs> um, my first pick, I'm going to go with one of my personal favorite baseball movies. I think baseball movies are the best. I like Major League. Oh, oh, no. <laughs> we were talking about it before the show, Josh, and I was just like, oh, I'm going to have to go home and watch Major League now. Um, super fun movie. All the characters in that movie are just great. Like, I wish I was in that locker room half the time. Uh, Josh, what's going to be your second pick? Um, this one is a little different. It is from this year. Um, it's a movie called Hustle with Adam Sandler. Oh, yeah. That movie was great. It's on Netflix. If you want to watch it, check it out. Great, great movie. Um, I forget his name, though. The guy, He's an actual NBA player that uh, started in the movie. Juancho Hernan Gomez. Yes. Um, I don't know who he's with right now. Because the last team he was on was the Timberwolves. Timberwolves, I, I don't, believe. I don't think he's still on the Timberwolves. I want to see. He's on, on a different team. I, I just don't he's know on, what. Like, the Jazz now. It's I some think West Coast so. It's, team. it's one of those teams. He's on the Jazz. But it was a really good movie. Anthony Edwards is in there. Uh, shout out Kermit. Um, <laughs> so yeah, it was a really great movie. I loved it. Exactly your second pick. Oh, Coach Carter, classic, great story, true story. Uh, I was a basketball player growing up. I watched that movie lots of times. I think it's. You know, fully true story. I mean, a lot of those guys, because of that coach, their lives changed. They went to college, got full rides, got education. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, most of the sports movies that I've ever seen, I see them because of my dad. And, you know, my dad has a lot of favorite sports movies. But one of these movies I probably would have never seen if it wasn't for my dad just watching on TV. And I love it because it's also my favorite Shaquille O'Neal performance oh. in a sports movie. Blue Chips <laughs> yeah, is one. an awesome movie. It's about Shaquille O'Neal, who's a high school prospect, and then, you know, teams are trying to pay him money because he's, like, one of the top players in the country. It's about him dealing with this kind of change in his lifestyle. And, you know, a lot of it, like, Shaquille O'Neal really did go through a lot of that. Like, when it was... Penny Hardaway was in uh-huh. it? Uh-huh. That's yeah. how they met? It's, it's a great movie. I think if you guys haven't seen Blue Chips, go check it out. It's awesome. Josh, your last pick in this draft? Last pick, you know, went football, and then I went basketball. I'm end with baseball, Moneyball. Is what I'm going with. Great, great movie. Um, I used that reference earlier uh, in one of our shows that we had. That um, it doesn't matter what they hit, what they average. What matters is that they get on base. You know, great movie. You guys should check it out. I think that one might be on Netflix too. Yeah. Um, Brad Pitt was amazing in it, and um, Jonah Hill. Jonah Hill. Yeah. yeah. Your last pick, exactly. Ooh, Friday Night Lights. Just a classic. classic. Every every high school football player has watched that. Well, maybe a little overly dramatic, but it gets you it gets you interested and kind of off the couch a little bit. Um, with my last pick, I'm gonna go with just one of my personal favorite movies. I don't even know if you guys have heard this. Have you guys heard of the movie When the Game Stands Tall? Yes. Yeah. That is by far like first of all a top ten movie for me. Um, I could have gone with the classic. I love Forty Two. That's a probably a top three movie for me but i don't want to go basic you know everybody knows jackie robinson's story when the game stands tall was a movie that came out i want to say like 10 years ago and it didn't get very good ratings when it came out but that movie man that movie moved me 2014 2014 so yeah almost 10 years ago um it's about the de la salle high school in california and how they were going on to try to complete they have the I don't think they have it anymore. They had the longest winning streak in all of high school yeah, football. Yeah, in the country. 140 games. Yeah. 151 consecutive victories and 12 straight state championships. Mm-hmm. And, and the movie was about that, like, year after they had 
broken the record and how they were going to do it. And they ended up losing some games. It was a completely different team. Uh, and the movie kind of revolves around how the coach of this team is getting older, but also still trying to keep this team together. There's a lot of really sad things that happen. Some of the players get killed. Um, there's a really moving uh, hospital scene where the players go and meet a bunch of veterans in the hospital. That was hospital. the first time I ever seen my dad cry. Yeah, it's it's a sad movie, It's but it's extremely worth the watch if you love football movies, if you love sports movies in general. Honestly, if you just love movies in general, it's it's a ride, and it's definitely worth watching. <clears throat> That's going to do it for our draft today. If you guys want to vote on our story, we'll post something up there to choose who you think won the uh, best sports movie draft today. We got about 15 minutes left in the show. Uh, we wanted to move on to the World Baseball Classic, like I was saying. Uh, it's been an extremely fun series. I think, you know, this is the most fun I've had watching baseball in a long time. Uh, I, I don't watch baseball on TV very often, and that's my goal this year is to start watching it on TV a lot more instead of just, like, highlights and stuff like that. I want to actually get into the game. And I think this World Baseball Classic has been the perfect starting point. Josh, what's been your favorite part of the World Baseball Classic so far now that we're almost to the championship game? So the one that I I, I saw, um, even I saw it today too, was uh, when Japan celebrates a hit, they do the pepper grinder. Uh-huh. <laughs> and that, it's like the funniest tradition that they have. When someone gets on base, it's hilarious. I think that probably like, is the best thing that I've seen, but also the um, Team USA, Team America edits when they're <laughs> when they're destroying these other countries. It's hilarious. It's the best thing ever. Wow. <clears throat> um, you know, one of my favorite Team Mexico is a lot of fun. Yeah. Like, we talked about it last episode a little bit in their first couple of games, but now that it's starting to get into like the actual playoffs of it, they are just entertaining as all heck. Yes. No, Randy Arozarena. Arozarena is the life of that team. He he was Cuban too. Uh huh. Yeah, he was already a star of the MLB, and I think this series is just going to boost him even more. I think he's going to have one of his best seasons in the MLB because of the World Baseball Classic. Definitely. Um, one of the big stories coming out of the World Baseball Classic, though, and I wanted to talk to you guys about this is Edwin Diaz is out for the MLB season because of an injury he sustained while celebrating in a game that he closed. Yeah. Do you feel that this is kind of a wake-up call for MLB players saying that maybe they should just focus on the season versus going to this game, or do you think this matters too much for them to do that stuff? I think for for countries like that, like Puerto Rico, the DR, Cuba, this matters way too much. Mm-hmm. It, it matters way too much. And, I mean, then again, we can sit here and talk about how Cuba had a 50-year-old at the bat uh, against USA – but it in the end it doesn't matter because it matters to that guy playing for his country, you know, and that that's what um I believe it was Goldschmidt said in an interview like we love doing this or we love playing for our country. It was Trout, sorry, mm-hmm. um we love playing for our country. We love baseball. Like this is a great experience. And yeah, Edwin Diaz's injury was unfortunate. We honestly don't know how it happened besides the whole celebration part of the ass of, of it. Um, and like he needs to have surgery on his knee. He's out for the whole season, basically, unless they can make a run for the playoffs. I can see him coming in late October. Um, but like, I don't think the MLB has to be worried about this. 
you know, that was a freak accident. You cannot blame a freak accident and be like, nope, you can't play. It's in your contract. You know, because like I said, this matters way too much, especially for those like South American teams, you know, like it's this is writing way too much for them because especially for the guys that play in the winter league for their country, like that stuff matters way too much for them. You know, like I could see something about like not playing the winter leagues because like those games are like super competitive. Like this is like, you know, you play a couple exhibition games and you get into the playoffs right away. You know, it's nothing crazy, but those winter leagues go all winter, obviously. And uh, who was on the on the championship team um, from the Sox outfielder? Uh, Luis Robert. Yeah, he was on the winter Robert league <coughs> winter league championship team, and then he came out and played for his country. So I mean, I don't think the MLB has to worry about anything. You know, freak accidents happen. It's unfortunate, but they happen. And I mean, what they signed Edwin Diaz to what like five six years? Yeah, it was a pretty big contract. Yeah. So I mean, they're gonna have him. So, I, like I said, it can happen to anyone. Man, if it would have happened to Shoei, Angels would have lost their mind. Would have happened to Mike Trout, Angels would have lost their mind. You know, like it, it's just it's something that can happen in life, and it just happened to happen to him. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and I think one of the big things I always think about with this is that it would have happened in spring training if it didn't happen in the World oh, Baseball yeah. Classic. Yeah, like I don't, I don't think people understand that. <laughs> this is an injury that's because probably because he's been you know just pitching so much and like his body is just worked up. He would have had the same amount pitching probably in spring training that he did in the World Baseball Classic, because those teams like rotate those guys. Like he wasn't closing every game for Puerto Rico. Mm-hmm. Like there were other closers closers going in there, and they do the same in spring training. It would have happened there, you know. And I I don't think that you can say that. You know, the intensity of the World Baseball Classic is too much for these guys. These guys aren't, like, bothered by this at all. They're having so much fun out there. You can see every single team is yeah. just having fun. The fans are having fun. I think I saw something that said, like, this is one of the most watched, like, sports events in the past five years is the World Baseball Classic across the globe. It's huge for the sport of baseball. The MLB can't look at this and say, yeah, our star players are getting hurt. But it's still going to make them a lot of money. People are going to tune into the MLB now because of the World Baseball Classic. Especially for the, I honestly think the Tampa Bay Rays are going to have the biggest viewing ever because of Rose Arena. Mm-hmm. And they, they have, they have a bunch of other. They need stars. it. Yeah, <laughs> they have Wander Franco. People love Wander Franco, so they already had the viewership from having a guy like him, and now you have Randy or Rosarino, who is a whole two countries behind them, basically. You know, Cuba probably doesn't like him very much right now, but Mexico is a huge <laughs> fan. Like, America has been watching him this entire time saying, wow, that is a fun guy to watch play baseball. You know, he's he's going to bring viewership in. Guys like, you know, Rowdy Tellez has had a really fun. Luis Urias for Mexico, both those guys have been playing really well, and that's going to bring viewership to the Brewers this season. You know, these are teams that need it and want it because they've been good. The Brewers and Rays have been two of the best teams in the MLB for the past five years. And half the league doesn't know about it. The Rays were in the World Series two straight years, and half the league doesn't know about they it. They were? Or w- one year, one year. I didn't even know that. Um, they win? No, they did not win. Um, you know, it's just that these teams and the MLB need it. And no matter what happens in it, they got to understand that one guy is, and I, I hate saying this, but from a business standpoint, one guy is not worth 
taking away the World Baseball Classic from these guys. Mm-mm. No, that, like if the MLB thinks they can do that, they have another thing coming to them. Because I don't even think the World Baseball Classic would like let that happen. But also the fans wouldn't let it happen. The fans are too invested, especially for like Japan. Japan has baseball, soccer, volleyball, whatever, right? Baseball is the most important thing to that country. When I was there, nothing but baseball is what I saw. I didn't see a thing about soccer. I didn't see a thing about football. I didn't see a thing about volleyball. Otani was everywhere when I was walking down there. Everywhere. Like, that man is a staple for them. They are so excited whenever they go and watch him or watch him from home. They love baseball. You cannot take away this type of game for those fans that die and wait every couple years or whatever to watch got their home players play. You can't do that. Um, you know, with what you were saying about, and I, I completely agree, you know, a lot of these South American countries, they don't get this exposure in the other sports. Mm-hmm. In soccer, a lot of those teams are getting kicked out in that group play. In the Olympics, these teams aren't competing at all. In baseball, they have a shot. Um, I wanted to ask you, do you feel like with baseball starting to take a huge jump across the world, like this World Baseball Classic is obviously showing that people care about baseball across the world. And then now that we were talking about it earlier with basketball, a lot of these best players in the league being foreign players, how much longer do you think soccer has a grip on the world sport? Do you think baseball and basketball ever make a run to become the world sport? I think they can. But I think soccer has so many more other leagues and countries that it's kind of hard. And then, especially with this last World Cup, you get somewhere in, what, it was in Qatar, right? Mm -hmm. You get some country like that with a lot of money like that, it's hard to beat that. It's very hard. Like, right now, if I had to guess, it's always going to be, let's say, like, basketball and baseball got really big with soccer, right? Mm -hmm. It's soccer, baseball, basketball. Like, that's what I'm calling. And I just think soccer has way too many countries, way too many, like, leagues and whatever. People are way too invested. Way too invested. And I'm not saying it's a bad thing, you know. Don't get me wrong. That, like, it's a good thing. They have popularity, you know. You got teams that, all these fans, whatever, blah, blah, blah. But not even, like, these main leagues that we see. There's so many more lower-tier teams that people die for. You know, so like countries would just have to start like being taken over by other countries to all of a sudden that there's no longer a soccer team for that country and they just get added to the current one for whatever country, you know, like that's the only way I can see baseball and or basketball surpassing soccer. But but even um, uh, the next World Cup, it's going to be here in the U.S., we're going to have probably, like, the U.S. is probably going to be filled to high hell. Like, they're playing in Mexico and almost all of throughout the U.S. The stadiums are already booked. The Mexico's already set. They're getting ready. Like, we are going to have so many people in the U.S. and in Mexico bouncing back and forth from stadium to stadium to stadium. Like, soccer is still right now going to lead you know, lead the league, right? And, like, baseball will have its turn. They will definitely have its turn, I think, to have that number one spot. But soccer right now is kind of unstoppable. 
how do you go about so baseball and basketball both have like those smaller uh, international leagues that soccer does. How do you go about boosting those leagues as the MLB and the NBA? And I know like the NBA has their hand in Africa, like they have the NBA Africa, and that's their league in there, and they got that. How do you go about MLB boosting leagues like the NKL and the Japan Baseball League and stuff like that? Give them a little bit of money. I think that's what they need. That always helps. Mm-hmm. So you're not going to want to send your players over there. So I, I'd say just give them a little, little grant thing, you know. Send more Strohaytanis over here. <laughs> yeah, I think, you know, kind of going with that money idea, these teams, those foreign teams, they just need the money. I think that's how a lot of these soccer teams work is that they're willing to pay these guys a lot of money to go play in Germany, go play in France or something for them when they're from the United States or they're a German player that goes to play in France. I just these leagues need to get more on the level of the MLB, and I think Sackley's right. You have The MLB has to want that for them. I think the MLB doesn't really want that because they're getting the Shohei Otanis and they're getting the Seiya Suzukis and guys mm-hmm. like that coming in. But at the same time, I don't I don't think that's going to last. I think a lot of players are going to start realizing that the Japan Baseball League is just as competitive. You know, it the Korean Baseball League is pretty close to just as competitive. You know, I think fans also, along with the money, have to give those leagues a chance too. You know, I think that's something that I want to start doing. I want to start watching some of the Korean baseball because I know the announcers are also really entertaining in that league. Um, you know, there's there's a lot to those leagues, and I think not only the MLB has to give them a chance, but the fans have to give them a chance. Yeah. I think we're starting to do that in the World Baseball Classic. We just have to carry it on into the regular season. Yeah. All right, folks, I think that is going to do it for us today. If you guys enjoyed what you heard today, be sure to tune in to us next week. We'll be back at our usual time on Tuesday, 8 to 10. Uh, Be sure to tune into our Instagram. We'll be posting the winner of the food battle. Be sure to tag three of your friends and tell us who you think won the food battle in the comments, and you could win $15 to get your own box of wings. All right, folks, thanks for tuning in. We'll see you next week. Thanks for listening to the Blue Jay Blue Show. You can find us on Spotify, TikTok, and Instagram. See you next Tuesday.